Want to go ahead and read the thing? All right. Boxing is one of those sports that is sort of difficult to describe. On the one hand, there's an awful lot of strategy that goes into it. How to position your hands, how to roll with punches, how to chain together blows so that they do the most amount of damage to an opponent and the least amount to yourself. On the other hand, at its core, it is two people hitting each other until one can't continue. Boxing has been legal and illegal throughout its history, and even today is a very tightly regulated sport, but has always had an air of being dangerous and just this side of the law. In 1896, a heavyweight championship boxing match was to be held in San Francisco. This match was illegal. At the time, especially in San Francisco, boxing was considered barbaric and not allowed by the law. But the promoters of the fight had a bigger problem. They didn't have a referee. By the time Bob Fitzsimmons and Tom Sharkey faced off in the ring, they had found their referee. And by the end of the match, a Wild West legend would have his reputation destroyed. On this episode of Relative Disasters, the Fitzsimmons versus Sharkey heavyweight championship boxing match of 1896. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Greg, host for this episode. And I'm his sister Ella, your co-host. Our main sources for this episode are the 1989 book by Jack D'Amato's The Earp Decision. (laughs) Great title. The uh, University of Nebraska Press Alan Barra 2008 book, Inventing Wyatt Earp, His Life and Many Legends. And uh, various and sundry newspaper articles from San Francisco from around the, uh, the time of the fight. Lovely. So, let's talk about boxing for a minute. Please, um, have we done a boxing episode before? We have not done a boxing episode because boxing, it's a weird topic. It is a combat sport, mm-hmm. and it is definitely a sport. There are rules in place. Mm-hmm. A good boxing uh, approach mm-hmm. is to uh, hit the person in the body uh-huh. to knock the wind out of them or hit them in the head to rattle the brain against the skull, give them a concussion and knock them out. Okay. Getting hit in the head repeatedly mm-hmm. is not good for people. No, we have uh, um, some delicate stuff up there. Yeah. Just a very, very brief overview. Boxing is really an extremely strategic sport yeah uh there's an awful lot that goes into how to move how to punch how to hit somebody in just the right way um and you have to be fast you have to have really good you have to be very very fast fast and powerful okay fast powerful very muscular because the more muscles you have the better your body is protected okay um and at this time as we said uh, in the opening, 
uh, boxing was illegal. It was viewed as a uh, as something that could be legal from place to place, mm-hmm. but in San Francisco at the time, uh, it was illegal under city law. Okay. Now that did not stop, of course, um, everybody from showing up. Yeah, I mean, when I think about San Francisco <laughs> in the 1890s, I just think of brawling and yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of fighting. <laughs> just just recreational fighting. And I'm glad you brought up brawling, actually, okay. because uh, <laughs> recreational fighting. I like that. Well, you know, non-professional. I'm going down to the saloon today. We're going to have a we're going to have a little amateur uh, brawling. Get my workout in. Yeah. Of course, gambling has always been a huge part of boxing. Sure. Um, you've got it, it's a fairly simple gamble. You've got two people. They're fighting each other. Uh, the most common bets are not just who's going to win, but how they're going to win, whether they're going to win by knockout or by decision. How long they're going to last. And how long they're going to last. Yeah. Boxing lasts a number of rounds, which are decided on before the match starts. Some, uh, A lot of times, especially at this time, boxing wasn't as codified as it is now. However, even modern boxing... It carries a lot of baggage. There's sort of a bad reputation that boxing has been trying to shake forever. And when that happens, it comes to throwing fights uh, for the purposes of betting. And look, somebody getting hit in the face, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to get hit in the face for a living. Well, That's you're not... getting hit for money. I exactly. The... But I don't want to get hit for money. I'd rather make money a different way. So I don't yeah, want to make my living by getting hit in the everybody's face. Everybody's different, Greg. Everybody has different it's true. skills. And so if you are somebody who is put in that position, mm-hmm. one of the one of the big difficulties facing boxing is that if somebody gets hit, it's really, really hard to tell if they're faking it when they get hit and fall down, right? Uh, um, sure. in basketball. In basketball, mm-hmm. uh, there's a phenomenon called point shaving, which can also be very hard to to detect. But if you know what you're looking for, it's there. Boxing is kind of the same thing. Uh, you know that if somebody is heavily favored to win mm-hmm. and they come out and the other guy taps them once in the nose and they fall down and go to sleep for a while, that fight doesn't seem legitimate, right? Well, I mean, we've all been there, right? We've all walked into a wall. <laughs> I mean, Falling down. I would love to say that I haven't. <laughs> and taken a nap absolutely, because that's the way your yeah. day is going. <laughs> because you know what? I've had enough at that point. I think it does take a really unique kind of set of talents to be a good boxer. Oh, God, yes. No, people who are who are good boxers are immensely, not just physically talented, mm-hmm. but you have to be incredibly skilled. Yeah. There is so much that goes into even something as simple as taking a step forward or backwards. Boxing is one of those things where it is it is a chess match with punching. There is so much mentally that needs to be going on and accounted for. And you've got to be faster and hit harder than the other guy in front of you. While being hit. Yeah. Yeah. Because nobody doesn't get hit in a boxing Nobody match. doesn't get hit. Very, very seldom do people not get hit. If you've ever seen Mike Tyson in his prime, Mm -hmm. those are terrifying because Tyson had this way of just, he would just break whatever defenses the other person would put up and it seemed like there was nothing they could do about it. Muhammad Ali was a very cerebral boxer. Uh, He very famously won probably one of the biggest matches of his life 
by just outlasting. Yeah, floating his like opponent. a butterfly. Floating like a butterfly, stinging like a bee, and and rope doping, making him come to him and waste all of his energy. And then once the other guy got tired out, Ali just lit into him. So you have an awful lot of strategy that goes into boxing. All that being said, mm-hmm. please remember this. The point of boxing is to hit the other guy until he gives up or can't get up. Right. There is scoring. Mm-hmm where if the fight goes the full distance, the number of rounds that it's been scheduled for, then there are judges who decide who, you know, landed more blows or defended more effectively, and they and those are wins by decision. Mm-hmm. You knock the other guy down and he doesn't get up, that's win by knockout. Right. It, honestly, it's an incredibly impressive skill set. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, just you're going to get hit. So what do you do about uh, about people getting hit. Well, you put some rules in place, and that's what makes it a sport instead of two guys going at each other. Sure. The rules that people had been using were called the London Prize Rules. Now, this does not sound like modern boxing at all. Mm-hmm. Under the London Prize Rules, you could do stuff like um, put a guy into a hold mm-hmm. or hip throw him. Or throw an elbow, uh, maybe even throw a knee, as long as both sides had cleared that. <laughs> so what had come along mm-hmm. were, were called the Marquis of Queensbury rules. Now, <laughs> now what these rules did was they attempted these to elevate... These are very classy sounding regulations. <laughs> They're incredibly classy sounding. For, putting, you gotta remember, for breaking someone's boxing, nose with your elbow. <laughs> boxing is a British sport, okay? So they had great names for all of this stuff. The Marquis of Queensbury rules mm-hmm. were basically a way to say, look, we want this sport to get some legitimacy. We want this sport to be considered more of a like a gentleman's kind of sport. Sure. So we're going to eliminate the elbows. We're going <laughs> to eliminate being able to punch a guy in the nuts if you need to. Uh, no <laughs> knees, no biting, no hip throws, nothing like that. There were certain areas you were allowed to strike the other man in the stomach, uh-huh. you were allowed to strike the other man in the head. You were not allowed to strike the man in the neck or throat. Okay. You were not allowed to target the other person's legs. For example, there had been a boxer in the 1860s who became very infamous for crippling people hmm. by punching them so hard in the leg he could separate their thigh muscle from the bone. Oh, okay. Yeah, we don't that's, want that. That's not cool. No, not cool at all. The Marquis of Queensbury rules, or the Marquess of Queensbury rules, depending on which source you're working from. Okay. Uh, basically, they codified what are almost in their like these are the forerunners to the modern rules of boxing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most important part of that is that you're not allowed to strike the other man in the groin. Sure. I mean, shouldn't that not be a given? Should we not have like a, a some basic <laughs> areas to stay away from sure but remember those were that was generally okay in london prize rules i i know uh it it wasn't it was considered to be you know uncouth but it wasn't (laughs) necessarily against the rules (laughs) punch me in the throat not the nuts so uncouth yeah right 
so here's the uh, so here's the situation. We're going to talk about our two boxers, and we're going to talk about what goes into the heavyweight championship title here. Right. So first of all, we are going to talk about Bob Fitzsimmons. Now, I I kind of like Bob Fitzsimmons. I I he seems like a a very decent boxer. Okay, and even in modern times. He is still considered to be one of the hardest punchers in boxing history. Wow. So Fitzsimmons started boxing in Australia. He was born in Britain, Mm -hmm. but he started boxing in in Australia, and he became famous for uh, defeating Gentleman Jim Corbett uh, to become the, the lightest heavyweight champion at the time, at, at only 165 pounds. Okay. Yeah, that's not very heavy. Fitzsimmons was actually fairly tall for a boxer at that time. Mm-hmm. He was five foot eleven. That is kind of tall. Okay. Yeah, so nearly six feet. Five foot eleven and 165 pounds sounds stringy. He looks stringy okay. in his pictures. He had a reputation for moving forward and and hitting you with these very very short punches. Okay. However, even though his punches didn't well, actually probably because his punches didn't need to travel a whole lot of distance. They hit really hard. He became the world middleweight champion. Mm-hmm. He then defended that title and then decided to vacate it mm-hmm. in order to go for the heavyweight championship. Now, did he stay the same weight? Just like uh, yes, set out to a, conquer he, the heavyweights too. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay, pretty much. We love that energy. Um, all right, there is some speculation about why he left the middleweight. He beat everybody. Well, yeah, he did beat everybody, and he beat everybody pretty much decisively. I mean, you can only go up from there, right? You can't start yeah. picking on the smaller people. Well, he he also had a pretty big low. Okay. So one of the biggest fights he had, uh, this was when he won his first world title in 1891. Uh, he was fighting Jack Dempsey. Now, this is not the Jack Dempsey of the 1920s, 19-teens, 1920s. Mm-hmm. This, was, this was a different Jack Dempsey. He knocked him down so many times that Fitzsimmons started asking him, basically, please stop getting back up. Oh. Like, like... He That's he a knocked very him down. Specific kind of fight. He knocked him it? down at least thirteen times. Wow. Now this was before the technical knockout uh-huh. was codified. A technical knockout or a TKO is when you knock somebody down three times in the same round. Once they go down the third time, they're considered knocked out and the fight's over. Even if they uh, are still conscious. Even if they're still conscious. Okay. Yes. Uh, in this case, because that rule wasn't in place. Dempsey just kept stubbornly getting back up and Fitzsimmons kept knocking him down and then asking him, please stop getting back up. Oh boy. Since Dempsey kept getting back up, Fitzsimmons struck him very hard in the solar plexus, hard enough to nearly like apparently stop his heart Jeez. and carried him to his corner unconscious. And that's how he won his title. Wow. Okay. He had to have another one of his fights broken up by police when he knocked the guy down a whole bunch of times and the guy also refused to quit. The police basically came in and threw in the towel for him. Okay. But then then came 1894. So 
He was doing a public sparring mm-hmm. at the Jacobs Opera House in Syracuse, New York. Okay. And uh, he threw a punch and he knocked out his sparring partner. His sparring partner died. Oh, geez. Yeah. Fitzsimmons was charged with manslaughter but was acquitted. But very soon afterwards, he vacated the middleweight title and began to uh, to go for the heavyweight. Now, in modern times, you would also have the light heavyweight division, which is where he would have slid into. Right. But that didn't exist. So that's our boy Bob Fitzsimmons, all right? He generally strikes me as kind of a stand-up guy, punches as hard as you can imagine, mm-hmm. uh, and and just sort of tore his way through the ranks of boxing. Okay. Now we get to talk about his opponent, Tom Sharkey. So, uh, tale of the tape on him is he st- stood five foot eight inches. Mm-hmm. He was famous for being a very, very tough guy. Now, he was born in Ireland. Mm-hmm. He emigrated to the United States uh, in 1892, uh, went into the Navy, and started his pro boxing career in Hawaii, well, in the Navy. As you do. Uh, he is also named as one of the greatest punchers of all time, although considered less less great than Bob Fitzsimmons, but very, very good. Okay. He His style was, uh, he didn't mind if you hit him. Mm-hmm. He would take your punch and then rough you up once he was in close. Okay. Um, he had sort of a reputation of perhaps not not fighting dirty, but fighting as far, stretching the rules as far as they could possibly go. He might not hit you in the groin, mm-hmm. but he might punch you in the bladder, for example, <laughs> uh, which was considered dirty, but within the rules. Okay. Um, we don't love that. We don't love that, but he, he, was, he was very, very good. He okay. was... A, a heavyweight, and he he did fight twice against James Jeffries, the heavyweight champion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, he did all right. I feel like I feel, yeah. Oh, he did fine. Uh, one one was a, one was a draw. Okay. Uh, because it got broken up by the police. Because <laughs> remember, the best it's still for illegal. A draw. Yep. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and I believe the other one was uh, they went the distance and Jeffries won by decision. Okay. He he also fought the legendary gentleman Jim Corbett, mm-hmm. uh, and that fight was also ruled a draw uh, because the police came and broke it up. Boy. So we have uh, we have Bob Fitzsimmons and Tom Sharkey in San Francisco uh, at the time. They were going to have this match take place at the Mechanics Pavilion. Now. This was to be a heavyweight championship boxing match, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, meaning whoever won was going to be the heavyweight champion. Okay. Okay, so the background to the fight mm-hmm. itself. Let's let's just do that. Okay. So James Corbett, uh, who was, interestingly enough, the first heavyweight champion under the Marquise of Queensbury rules, had uh, vacated the title in 1895. There were a number of contenders for this title. Mm-hmm. There was Tom Sharkey, there was Bob Fitzsimmons, there was an Australian named Steve O'Donnell, and there was an Irish boxer named Peter Maher. Mm-hmm. Those four were basically considered to be the best. What wound up happening was sort of a 
the logic went like this. Mm -hmm. So Steve O'Donnell was considered to be probably the best contender for the heavyweight title. But uh, when he fought Peter Maher, Maher knocked him out in the first round. Okay. And then when Peter Maher fought Bob Fitzsimmons, Fitzsimmons knocked Maher out in the first round. Okay. So I'm invested. Really, the the only two that were left were Fitzsimmons and Sharky. Now Sharky uh, had won all 24 of his fights Mm -hmm. at this point. 20 of those being by knockout. So he's undefeated. So he's undefeated at this point. Okay. So. The promoter was a man named Jim Kofroth, and he basically stated that this match between Fitzsimmons and Sharkey was going to be the World Heavyweight Championship. The belt has been vacated. There's nobody else that has a legitimate claim to it. Uh-huh. So let's have these two boys fight, and whoever, whichever one of them you know, wins, they're the new champion. But, Greg. It, it, it makes sense. Yeah. Isn't it illegal to fight in San Francisco? It, boxing is illegal, yes. So how... <laughs> so this is like well, legitimate world championship heavyweight, um, yep. but it's illegal. Yes. Okay. Uh, and interestingly enough, even though the fight was illegal, uh-huh. this title fight had uh, city officials, including the mayor and the chief of police... <laughs> Who attended it? He's going to break it up if it goes too long. Though. And and they were betting on the outcome, oh, just like of course every single other person in the room. Yeah. Okay. Now here's the deal. All right. Fitzsimmons was a heavy favorite. He right. was he was a three to one favorite uh, when betting opened. Okay. But Sharky's undefeated. My money's on Sharky. What do you? Sharky's think? undefeated, but Bob Fitzsimmons is also undefeated. I don't know. This sounds like a good match. But Bob Fitzsimmons had, remember, had just recently moved up to heavyweight. Right. Okay. So he hadn't, he'd only fought a couple of matches at heavyweight, one of which was that Peter Mayer match uh, where he had knocked him out in the first round. Right. This was shaping up to be a big, big deal. And the biggest bone of contention between the Sharky and the Fitzsimmons camp was they could not settle on a referee. Yeah. Because, again, Boxing was not super uh, above board. There was a lot of shadiness going on. Can't have the mayor do it. The mayor's in the audience. Can't have the mayor do Can't it. Can't have nope. the chief and, of police do it. And here's the thing. Yep. Every every single referee that the people of the National Athletic Club, which were, were the people overseeing the event, uh-huh. every single referee that they put forward, uh, either Sharkey's camp or Fitzsimmons' camp would would reject okay sharky's people would say no if they thought that the referee was um somebody who <laughs> did not like the irish which was an actual <laughs> oh, concern <dear. laughs> that was most I, of the country seriously. in 1890 right <laughs> it was a big concern Yikes. uh and fitzsimmons people wouldn't accept anybody that sharky's people suggested because they were worried that um the referee was going to fix the fight sure Okay, I can see that. So who do you go to? Who is a person out there who is an American legend who nobody would question their reputation? Tom Hanks. Well, yes, but not at all. Okay. (laughs) You call on none other than Wyatt Earp. Oh, of course. Of course, because he's famous for being (laughs) fair-minded and uh, settling problems. No, but he is famous for being... Somebody who everybody knows and has a huge reputation. That's right. You need a celebrity. So Very smart. Here we go. 
Well, I, and 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 I'm this sorry. was actually <laughs> why Wyatt Earp does he have any relationships? He's not a boxer, right? He's many things, no, but, but he's he not has, a boxer. No, but he has been a boxing referee. How? How does he have time? He's got like nine careers. We need to talk for a split moment here. Big sidebar. Unfairly short sidebar, though. Sidebar about, mustache, if you know what I mean. We need to talk for a minute about Wyatt Barry Stapp Earp. Is that his full name? That's his full name. Wow. Okay. Right? <laughs> All right. Now, when I was, when I was like reading about this stuff because i was blown away i had no idea that wyatt Earp was like what are you doing refereeing a boxing match he was but many things he was many many things um and the thing about wyatt Earp that really struck me mm-hmm. is that we as americans don't have ancient mythology no we don't have like you know we don't have a king arthur or <laughs> we certainly you know, do not. You know, You're right. We're a very young because country. We're a very young country. But uh the Wild West was where we developed a lot of our American mythology. Sure. I mean, if you think about it, the the entirety of like the cowboy mythos, being a cowboy must have been like just an awful job. Like I know, you get a lot of fresh air. You get a lot of fresh air, but there's a lot of danger. There's a lot of monotony. And then there's, you know, everybody's wearing a gun because you never know when somebody might just up and shoot you. Sure. But one of the largest figures of our American mythology uh, is Wyatt Earp. He is most famous for being, uh, gosh, what would you call I I would call him a lawman. A lawman. Right? Yeah, because he's not he a sheriff, a right? And he's not a marshal. He's marshall. not a sheriff. He was not a sheriff. He was, wasn't he a marshal? I no, he wasn't. Don't he was not. No. I, okay, so full confession. I've only ever seen movies about Wyatt Earp, and some of I them mean, may have been exaggerated. <laughs> most people have. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he's, he's a lawman, right? He keeps the order. Yeah. Wyatt Earp was one of those weird American stories where he was a guy who just happened to be there when a lot of big things happened. Sure. Uh, he went out to Dodge City with uh, his brother, um, James, mm-hmm. and the Earps uh, became city marshals in Dodge City, and they were credited with, with doing a lot to clean up that town. Okay. Now, he was also friends with John Holiday, also known as Doc Holiday, right. uh, who was considered to be one of the fastest and best shooters of the Wild West. Right. And I think what really happened here was that Wyatt Earp just kept moving, like, from boomtown to boomtown. And I think that that, when, when, whenever you have a boomtown, there's always going to be a big rush of crime. Sure. And, uh, you know, if you're the kind of person who is willing to put yourself out there with a gun and a, and a badge and stop crime, and you keep moving to places where... It's just going to be an everyday occurrence for you. Uh-huh. Then that's I, I that's how his legend started. So you're making him sound like part... kind of an attention seeker, there, Greg. <laughs> no, I don't mean to at all. Actually, I think okay. I think that from what I read of the guy, he was kind of 
I mean, he was certainly like, you know, what you would think of as like a tough guy, but he was not the sort of like come out and pay attention to me sort of person. He no, was, but he's such a legend. Like, like um, he is absolutely a legend. He's either telling amazing stories about himself or he is having someone else tell amazing stories about him. Yeah. And and the stories happen to be true. It's very interesting. Uh, they're probably most famous for their brush with the uh, the outlaw group known as the Cowboys, also known as the Clanton Gang, when they were in Tombstone, right. Arizona. Uh, Wyatt Earp, his brother Virgil, and his brother Morgan were deputized uh, lawmen, okay. which put them in conflict with the Clantons. Right. And just very, very basic thing led to the what's now become legendary, uh, shootout at the OK Corral right. in 1881, where uh, both sides met up in the street and exchanged a heck of a lot of gunfire. And the Earps and Doc Holliday walked away, and a bunch of the Clanton gang did not. Uh, it led to reprisals, where uh, Earps' older brother Virgil was ambushed uh, and horrifically wounded, but survived. Uh, his brother Morgan was, uh, by all accounts, shot in the back and mm. killed. And the Earps formed basically uh, just this side of legal posse. Okay. Uh, where they went and hunted down three more members of the so-called cowboy gang. Those men were never brought to trial. They were just killed. Hmm. After Tombstone, Wyatt Earp moved to San Francisco. Gotta follow those boom towns. And... The interesting thing about San Francisco was that San Francisco was not just in the middle of a gold rush, mm -hmm. but also in the middle of a just this weird, incredible wealth boom. Yeah. And so uh, Wyatt Earp was in just the right place at just the right time with just the right reputation to be the man that uh, that they would choose to call on to referee the Fitzsimmons-Sharkey fight. All right. He had officiated boxing matches before, mm -hmm. uh, including a fight in 1869 in Cheyenne between John Shancy and Mike Donovan okay. that was a, a really big deal. About 3,000 people came out to watch that one. So he's been doing However, this for a while. He's been doing this for a while. However, he's been doing it under the London Prize Rules. Oh. Oh, there it so is. So he needs to do some quick catching up right. to get a hold of the whole Marquise of Queensbury rules. The Fitzsimmons camp, again, they did not want Earp to be the referee, but an estimated 15,000 people were coming out to this fight. Whoa. This illegal fight. Many, many, uh, probably four to five times that were placing bets on it, okay? Mm-hmm. And so it was coming down to the wire, and they had to settle on somebody, and Earp was the best alternative that they had. They also were fairly sure that Wyatt Earp was not in the Sharky camp. Okay. And that <laughs> he was not going to throw the fight for Sharky. Okay. Okay? Which was the big concern that they had. Sure. So uh, right away, the match gets off to a weird start, because when uh, Wyatt Earp walks into the ring to referee... Uh, the chief of police um, gets up from his seat and climbs into the ring <laughs> and asks and asks that Wyatt Earp please hand over the forty-five caliber pistol that he's wearing. Oh, boy. That in, sets a tone, doesn't it? In, in Wyatt Earp's defense, 
<laughs> Were in they Wyatt <laughs> defense, uh, his his defense was that he had simply he was simply so used to wearing it that he'd forgotten he had it on. Okay. And Wyatt, you know what? Those things weigh like ten pounds a piece. Come on. I sure, but I feel like he's worn one his entire life. I I'm okay with letting him take a little bit of a slide on that one. Do we even know what he looks like without guns? Uh, I don't know what he looks like without his mustache. I'll tell you that. Hmm. It is also really, really hard to sort of show, like, how anticipated this fight was. Okay? Right. Well, like, how many people you said? 15? 15,000. 15, I thought that's what you said, but that sounds like too many people for one arena. Way like, too they're many holding, people. They're holding this in a in a pavilion, right? They're holding this in, a, in an athletics center. Okay. It doesn't... It does not seem like you could jam that many people in. Yep. But where there's a will, there's a yep. way, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is this going to turn into a fire safety episode? It is not. Okay. It, it definitely was a fire hazard, but fortunately nothing caught picture. on fire. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so right away, the fight is very clearly favoring Fitzsimmons. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's taller. Mm-hmm. He's got more reach right he's faster he's faster than sharky okay that, that and it really comes down to that he is hitting sharky a lot now sharky's again his his strategy was to bull in mm-hmm. uh take the punches as they came in and and deliver punishment up close right. now fitzsimmons again so you remember remember how we were talking about how he he would put down his his opponents with those very short punches yeah he has that solar plexus punch, the right. one that we talked about that like people were worried it would stop your heart. Yep. Um, so the fight is very... I, I don't want to say it's one-sided, but it is definitely going Fitzsimmons' ways. They're, they're trading blows, but Fitzsimmons is clearly winning. Okay. In the eighth round, uh, Sharky bulls in, and Fitzsimmons sees his opening. He's got his short punch ready to go, and he drills it into Sharky's solar plexus. Ouch. Sharky hits the mat. But Sharky hits the mat, grabbing his groin. Oh. Now Wyatt Earp stops the match. He talks to both corners, and then he raises Sharky's hand as a win by disqualification. For hitting him below the belt. Okay. What exactly happened there? What happened there was Sharky also saw an opening. <laughs> okay. Sharky saw Sharky saw a way to make it look like he'd gotten hit and make it look bad enough that Erp would think he'd been hit below the belt. But there are people right there. Yeah. But they're not. You know, this is well before you'd have cameras and telescopic lenses are okay anything. i do understand that but supposedly fifteen thousand pairs of eyeballs are looking sure. at this punch which is why the crowd started to react very poorly right okay so wyatt earp uh declared sharky the victor uh-huh and what was clearly a blow to the solar plexus was uh, Sharky basically he played it. He played it like uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a professional soccer match where a guy brushes past the other guy and the guy hits the ground howling as though he's just been killed. Do you know what that reminds me of? 
tell, uh, a, a toddler. Yeah, little kids when they're trying to get each <laughs> yeah. other in trouble. Oh my god, exa- I got punched in the eye. And that's exactly what this was. That's um, so wild. Okay. So what winds up happening is that the crowd starts to boo. And remember, yeah, there are <laughs> 15,000 people in there. All the people with money on Fitzsimmons. Wyatt Earp, very quickly, he, he declared the winner. He, he'd done his job, and he went out of the ring and walked out the exit. Okay. <laughs> right? Now, Sharky's corner people play it up very well they they you know they have to basically carry him out right right and uh, and and he gets a doctor to come in and everything and uh a couple of nasty rumors start flying around mm-hmm. rumor number one was that um Wyatt Earp had bet heavily on Sharky Ooh, did he he did not okay and rumor number two uh-huh. was that obviously Sharky was uh was pulling a fast one and the reason he was pulling a fast one was because uh, the prize, the the purse for this fight mm-hmm. was $14,700 in 1896. Sounds like a lot. That is almost half a million dollars yeah. today. That's not bad. Now, Fitzsimmons and his people were so incensed that uh, they took Sharky to court <laughs> okay but i'm sorry uh, this is illegal right the boxing yeah. match so how the can boxing you match, yes. take someone to court for yes this is what fitzsimmons did uh they got an injunction okay so that uh the prize money couldn't the the so sharky's people literally had the the check in hand uh-huh but uh when they tried to cash it the uh the bank manager basically said that their attorney said we can't we can't pay off the check until the court decision comes down. Okay. However, all the bets that were made on the fight were 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 due. Okay. And those bets were paid off based on Wyatt Earp's decision. Okay. So the San Francisco papers uh, at the time were not. Journalism was not their priority, however. So the the two major ones were the San Francisco Examiner and the San Francisco Call. Uh, the San Francisco Examiner, uh, both both papers, to be clear, both papers said that Wyatt Earp got it wrong. Okay. Um, however, the Examiner said that Earp was, you know, duped by uh, by Sharky's people. Sure. But the Call stated. That Wyatt Earp uh, was in on it. He was in on the fix. They claimed that uh, uh, the people of the Examiner were in on the fix. Oh boy! Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> we're they, just they went get everybody. All in. Okay. Um, and they uh, they they attacked Wyatt Earp's character. Oh boy! This is the part of this story that really bothers me. Okay. The guy who should come off badly here is Sharky. Sharky, he cheated. He did the toddler thing. He did the toddler thing. Mm-hmm. He toddlered. Uh, <laughs> Never toddler. That's such but they a bad didn't, look. But they didn't like accuse him. They just went after Wyatt Earp. Oh. And it was and it's weird to me. Um so anyway, Wyatt Earp had to go to court uh <laughs> because he was carrying a concealed weapon. Right. Um and he got caught by the chief of police. <laughs> and the chief of police was the one who had to take it from him. Um he he wound up having to pay a fifty dollar fine on that one. Okay. The San Francisco district attorney 
uh, wanted to impanel a grand jury. For for the weapons charge? For all of it. Okay, sure. Okay. There's a lot to look um, at there. There, there. there was a lot to look at there. Um, and... Uh, And it got very ugly, especially between the papers. Um, in fact, the uh, San Francisco call went so far as to say that basically Wyatt Earp was nothing more than a murderer who had made up all of his all of the stories about himself, uh, you know, as self-aggrandizement. And and uh, they accused Wyatt Earp of being in on on uh, the gunfight at the OK Corral as like a, uh, oh, a, a, okay. a con job. So they're going for the full and, life and Oh, they, they absolutely smeared his entire... Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah, it was bad. Mm. It was really bad. So here's what comes out. Right before the fight, uh-huh. all of a sudden the bets had started to favor Sharky right until they closed the windows. Okay. Which means when you have that big of a swing that there are... There's either a few people making huge bets or there's a lot of people making a lot of bets. Um, and a couple of other things came out. Mm-hmm. One of the things that came out was that the uh, the actual San Francisco physician that the National Athletic Club had on, on hand there mm-hmm. uh, to examine the fighters to make sure that they were okay was prevented from seeing Sharky ah. after the fight. And that the uh, the doctor who had treated Sharky after the fight may not have actually been a doctor. <laughs> okay. Um, the, when the, the actual doctor was allowed to examine Sharky, mm-hmm. uh, he was only allowed to do so with basically all of Sharky's guys standing around him. Okay. And uh, he did find swelling and discoloration on the groin. Mm-hmm. However, the swelling and discoloration looked as though some sort of fluid had been injected. Uh! Yeah, not not as the result of any particular blow. Okay. Yeah, which is bad. Finally, on December 10th, so uh, almost a year later... Mm-hmm. Uh, the worst of the accusations come out. Okay. Part of these are true. Part of these are not. The part that is not true, as far as anyone can prove, mm-hmm. is that um, Sharky had, through an intermediary, his managers had arranged for Wyatt Earp to be paid $2,500 mm-hmm. to give the fight to Sharky as soon as Fitzsimmons landed any kind of body blow that they could pass off as as a groin shot. Okay, that's a pretty serious accusation. It's a very serious accusation. And there's no evidence to support it. Mm. Uh, when Wyatt Earp was in court, he was already in debt because he, uh, he owned horses that had some medical expenses. And he was quoted as saying that basically the only things that he owned outright were the clothes on his back. And the guns. Um, now, also, when the doctor... Uh, looked in the room Mm -hmm. he did see an unstoppered bottle of potassium iodide okay now potassium iodide when injected under the skin will cause swelling and discoloration it probably hurts a lot yeah yeah now when they finally went to court Basically, Fitzsimmons testified that he'd never thrown an illegal punch. Okay. Uh, and the people who were closely watching the fight backed him up on that. Mm-hmm. The sequence of blows 
was that Fitzsimmons had struck Sharky in the face Mm -hmm. with his left. And then when Sharky dropped his hands, Fitzsimmons hit him uh, with that uh, solar plexus punch. Sharky testified that he had gotten the left to the face and then uh, had gotten punched in the groin. Wyatt Earp testified that he was offered no money and would not have listened to a proposition to begin with, that kind of proposition to begin with, (laughs) and that uh, he was hoping that his reputation would sort of speak for itself. Okay. So finally, the judge rules on December 17th, again, this is about a year later, Mm -hmm. that all of the evidence that was provided about the alleged fix was hearsay. Interesting. Um, Okay. And also, hey, guys, the entire fight was against the law. (laughs) (laughs) So... I'm curious so the judge has to point that out to everybody. How they even got to this point. <laughs> so what he does is he dismisses the injunction. Okay. He says that this, the people who put on the fight had no license to hold a boxing match. True. Okay. And that everybody had broken the law and could all be arrested. I mean, I feel like it should not have taken a year to get to that point. Right? You know, the business with the punch, you could argue about that. The business with the 15,000 spectators and the, like, giant championship boxing match, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. definitely happened, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happened. Okay. Yeah. Just, America, you're so weird sometimes. (laughs) So here's the aftermath. All right. Uh, Sharky is declared the heavyweight title holder. Okay? Okay. However, Jim Corbett ends his retirement in 1897, and... Generally, the public recognizes him as the still heavyweight champion. Nobody's really, nobody really takes Sharky's win as legitimate at all. Yeah. And in 1897, Bob Fitzsimmons knocks out Jim Corbett to uh, rightfully earn the heavyweight title. Okay. So, uh, Sharky. <laughs> Sharky also fought Corbett. Corbett was trying to fight his way back up the ladder to get another shot at the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Corbett was disqualified from that fight uh, because uh, his corner man uh, entered the ring. Oh, okay. Which caused the referee to, you know, knock, declare that all bets were off and instantly disqualified him, giving the fight to Sharky. Interesting. Which then led to... July 24th of 1900, where Fitzsimmons and Sharky met again. The rematch. The rematch for the heavyweight title. And this time Fitzsimmons knocked him the heck out. I bet it was so satisfying. Oh, yes. You want to punch in the groin? So satisfying. (laughs) Uh, Except he didn't. He gave him many, many punches in the face and knocked him out. Right. Uh, And Fitzsimmons would hold that title until 1905. Now. In 1904, mm-hmm. finally, the doctor, who wasn't really a doctor, who had treated Sharkey, was arrested in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And under, under arrest and, uh, and uh, under oath, he testified that he had fixed the match. He had fixed Sharkey up to look like he had been punched in the ground. <gasps> did he do the injection? He did. That's so... He would not state that he did. He stated that uh, how he did it, he didn't. He would not, you know, reveal, but he did do it. And 
that that he wow. stated that that there was that Fitzsimmons did not foul Sharky and that he was paid a thousand dollars for it. Interesting. Um, okay. Now, unfortunately, uh, this did not help Wyatt Earp at all. Yeah, I was going to say, what happened to poor Wyatt after all this? So Wyatt Earp, this is the weirdest thing. Did he get to keep his clothes and his horses? So the gunfight at the OK Corral lasted about 30 seconds. Uh His decision of this boxing match, which again was in the eighth round, Mm -hmm. uh, lasted just a couple of seconds. This is the one that people remembered him for. People remembered his boxing decision right up until his death in 1929 mm. more than his all of his wild west exploits uh his obituaries if you go back and read the Wyatt Earp obituaries they will talk more about the Fitzsimmons Sharky match <laughs> oh, dang, than they really, will about everything else that is bleak <laughs> poor it Wyatt is, Earp it, it's real bad okay. um and uh for a while and this is the worst one for me mm-hmm. for a while a referee that was suspected of being crooked uh-huh. or or bought off by any of the parties was called to be uh, was said to be erping or pulling an erp. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. That's really sad. It's not great. Um, um and to be clear, mm-hmm. Wyatt Earp has been vindicated by all the evidence. Sure. He was not a part of this. He he absolutely made he had to make a split second decision that looked like the right decision at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe don't lose your entire reputation refereeing an illegal boxing match, even if the mayor and chief of police are right there to watch it. It's the papers, man. Once they get a hold of a good story. Once they get a hold of it, it's bad. They just start making stuff up and it goes crazy. So that's it. That is the wild and crazy story of how uh, the heavyweight championship fight between Bob Fitzsimmons and Tom Sharkey Ruined the reputation <laughs> of Wyatt Earp, oh, and that haunted him until his death in 1929. That is the story of the 1896 heavyweight championship fight between Bob Fitzsimmons and Tom Sharkey. That is a wild story. It is a wild story. So let me ask you, do you think this fight had an effect on the way boxing became legitimized in America? Well, boxing was always kind of in this sort of shadow area right. where it was it was it was not legitimized, but it was like kind of let's all just pretend it's okay kind of a thing. I mean, we had and, this, this like sketchball match with a celebrity yeah. referee and yep. it's illegal, but the mayor is there <laughs> and the chief of police. Like is that is that kind of like, when does that become, like, an actual legitimate heavyweight championship boxing Well, thing? you know they, how they always say that, like, the law is only the law as long as people agree that it's the law? You know, it's it's one of those things where it's, like, so many people just didn't care that it was illegal that eventually I think it was one of those things where people just kind of gave up enforcing it. Interesting. Um, okay. And uh, remember that this did vary city to city. Yeah. So, like, if they had had this match in, you know, another city where boxing was legal, then it would have just come down to the controversy over the over the decision. Right. But, yeah. Just, just um, having that added did it, layer. Did it make of... it more? <laughs> yeah. Uh, did it make it more or less legitimate? I, I don't know. I don't think it really had much of an effect 
on the uh, legitimacy or illegitimacy of boxing Mm -hmm. as it was, I think what it really did was a heck of a lot of damage to Wyatt Earp's reputation. Sure. And uh, kind of late, I mean, honestly, it's such a bad look for Tom Sharkey himself. Oh, yeah. Who was... He was a good boxer. I mean, a 24-0 and record with 20 of those wins being by knockout, you don't do that by accident. Nope. You don't do that by cheating in every single one. But showing up in this one and being like, I'm going to cheat my way to the heavyweight? Yeah. Come on. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. And I feel bad for, for Bob Fitzsimmons, really bad for him, because remember, he just accidentally killed a friend of his. Mm. And then to be in the place where it's like, look, I legitimately won the heavyweight championship. Right, he's the one person in the room who knows that he didn't hit Sharky in the groin. Exactly. That's going to suck. Well, no, Sharky also knew he didn't hit him in the okay, groin. Okay, fair so enough. he's one of two people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, feel bad for, I feel bad for Bob Fitzsimmons, and honestly, I'm kind of glad he got his storybook ending yeah, of going like out. Yeah, it sounds like he did and, all right. And like winning the championship, and, and then rematch against Sharky where he absolutely dominated him and knocked him out like that. I'm, you know, that seems okay to me. Yeah. It's, it's a little Hollywood, but it works out. Well, all right. So yeah, it's, it's bananas. That is a great story. <laughs> we should do more boxing stories. <laughs> that was oddly fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Here at Relative Disasters, we do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our story today, a more complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com, or if you'd like to share some insights we missed or just shame us like Wyatt Earp. You know you do. Why not use our Instagram, at relative.disasters? And if you'd like to help support uh, this program and help keep us ad-free or just have a couple of bucks you don't know what to do with, please feel free to support us on our Patreon. It's Relative Disasters Podcast at Patreon. Uh, This week's episode is brought to you by our two patrons, Beth, Beth, who was defeated by Napoleon in the 1814 Cherbourg dance battle, Ooh, Beth. and Lauren, Lauren, who discovered the hard way that hugging a tiger is not as fluffy as it looks. Sure isn't. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My sister has personally selected our next That's disaster right. just for you, dear <laughs> listeners. What's oh it going to be, Ella? Well, Craig, it's a real downer after this. Oh, come on. After this fun uh, sporting episode, we are going to talk about the deadliest weather event in American history, the 1900 oh, no. Galveston hurricane, and how it was made so much worse oh, by America's yeah. first, well, one of America's first uh, professional weather forecasters yeah yeah well that uh that is an awful story but it is also an incredible story it's really fascinating i cannot wait to talk about it with you